0: Well, it's a wonderful day, and we have a wonderful Savior, and God has given to us a wonderful book, His Bible, with a wonderful revelation of His grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Therefore, I count it a great privilege to be alive, to be able to share God's Word with others. I thank God that he's given to most of us at least an average mind so that we can grasp his truth, And wherein there is failure in the mind because of sin, illuminating grace by his Holy Spirit, to know that truth. Yet the Christian faith has many enemies some so outstanding that the child of God immediately draws back, but some so subtle that almost without question we accept the presuppositions of the enemy against the Christian faith as being fact, as being science, as being reality, not realizing that Once we do, we have taken a step toward the total destruction of the whole fabric of Christianity. One of the most subtle, maybe the most subtle and dangerous satanic forces of theoretical thought to undermine the Christian faith is evolution. So I want us to examine the evolutionary world of and show to you that as a Christian you cannot believe in evolution. And if you do believe in evolution, what this inevitably will lead to. You must be consistent. And I will show you what consistent evolutionism will lead to. Without question, as a believer, as a Christian, we accept what the Bible says on the subject of creation. All of the minute details and the ins and the outs we may not understand. But this we do understand, and this we do accept, that the triune God through his word, created the heavens and the earth out of none pre-existing materials. Creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing except the mind and the will and the purpose of God. Therefore, when you pick up that elementary science book and you are told that matter is eternal, then set that aside as erroneous, for matter is not eternal. It has been brought into being by God, and it can be taken out of being by God. It cannot be destroyed by man, but it can be by God. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we read in verse 3, "...through faith." That's where everybody begins. In the realm of science, in the realm of religion, in the realm of philosophy, we begin in faith. We begin with certain presuppositions or axioms that have not been proved, but which are accepted by faith, and then from there we move out to build our system. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, whenever you see things out here, and they may change form and Fashion they were not made from those things, but had an original source of creation in the will of God. Therefore, the Bible begins not proving creation, not proving the existence of God, but with a dogmatic statement that we accept by faith in the beginning God. And if we can go that far, we have no problem with the rest of Genesis chapter 1. Because if we come to God, if we believe in God, if we accept the reality of God, if God is, and if God is the ground of all being, we can go on to what is next said, in the beginning, God created. God created. And God created the heaven and the earth. However, this is, what, this is not what is generally taught in our schools today and is rarely mentioned in our churches, but instead we are afraid to mention our belief in creationism, lest someone might think that we are not quite educated And where we move in the circle of intellectuals, they openly and bombastically brag of their belief in evolution, not realizing that they are placing their faith in religious and philosophical principles and not in scientific fact. But hear me good, there can be no synthesis of these two systems. There can be no bringing together of the two views of the origin of the world, creation by God on the one hand, and the processive unfolding of the worlds through evolution on the other. They are totally antithetic one to the other, stand diametrically in opposition one to the other, and one excludes the other, and therefore we are shut up not to a position of neutrality, but to a position of decision. Whether we accept what the Bible says, in the beginning God created, or whether we accept the theories and ideas and presuppositions and confusions of men. Well, what is the evolutionary worldview? What is it? What is it? Why should I, as a preacher in the pulpit of a church, bringing a sermon to a congregation of people, be concerned about it? Should not this be reserved to the classroom for neutral debate and discussion? Not at all. Because when it comes to truth, there is no neutrality. There is no no man's land. There is no buffer zone not claimed by either side, but the enemy stands face to face. And the most logical and reasonable place to deal with an atheistic evolutionary worldview is in the pulpit. And would to God that our preachers would see this. Well, first of all, the evolutionary worldview is a non-theistic conception of reality. Now, theism means a belief in, or Christian theism, in the belief of God, theos, but God in trinity and unity, the triune God who is revealed in the Bible. Now, evolution is non-theistic. Evolution has no place for God, and wherever evolutionists Give any kind of place to God, it is an abstract cosmic mind or cosmic hand that exploded an egg that came out to be the universes of the world, or some cosmic force that is thrusting the world toward order, and so because they cannot identify and name whatever this abstraction is, they call it God. And we say, isn't that sweet? Scientist so-and-so, though he's an evolutionist, believes in God. Don't you believe it for a minute? Confront him with the God of the Bible, and the God of the Bible begins as Elohim Creator, and he'll reject it. It's a non-theistic conception of reality. Therefore, classic evolutionism is essentially one of two things, atheistic or pantheistic, and both are a denial of the personal God of Christianity. Now, if evolution is consistent, it must be atheistic, that we live in a world of chance, and in a world of process, and actually a world that has had no beginning, which is eternal in itself, either in gaseous form or in the form of eternal matter. Or if God is given a place, he must be pantheistic. If it's the cosmic mind that is pushing things toward their development, as conceived of by the philosopher Spinoza, then it is a God in everythingness, with no personality, with no consciousness, as they say, except as He comes to consciousness in man's consciousness of Him. Now, that statement's loaded. It's like dynamite. Because it says in reality that man becomes the creator of God because God doesn't have any sense, doesn't have any mind, doesn't have any memory, doesn't have any recall, doesn't have any thinking process until man develops into a thinking creature to bring God to that stage. It's just a demiurge or an impulse that's pushing the world toward development, pantheism, God in everything. And that simply means that God is everything, that He's the dunghill out in the barnyard, that He is the Gothic temple in the heart of the city, that He's the dirty plate in the sink water, that He is the bottle of cologne on the shelf. God's everything. God is His world. God is creation. And this is consistent evolution if any place is given to God. But wherever evolutionism is accepted, the God of the Bible, biblical theism, must of necessity and logic and philosophically be rejected. God must be eliminated from man's understanding of the world. You'll say, but isn't that the scientific view? My dear friends, I do not know of a more loaded world view than evolution. What I mean by that is that that's the most sensitive, emotional concept that man holds to. Man becomes more emotional over this worldview than he does over his politics and over religion. It is a loaded worldview. Why? Because, first of all, any knowledgeable and reasonable evolutionist knows that he operates on presuppositions, presuppositions, that is, certain principles that he has laid down and accepted by faith which cannot be proven scientifically. So you put him on the spot when you confront him with this. You say, but just as I begin in faith, so do you. Just as I begin with the preconcept that God is, and then I reason around through all things and back to God, you too are guilty of circular reasoning beginning with your faith. Concepts, reasoning back to your original presuppositions, fitting your evolution into the framework thereof. Therefore, and you mark it down evolution is not science, it is scientism. And whenever a scientist makes the statement, I believe. In evolution, he has stepped outside of the scientific laboratory. He has ceased being a scientist and researcher, and he has become a philosopher and theologian. However wrong, he has become a philosopher and theologian. He must say, I believe. You see, true science is... The observation and recording of observable data, whether it's in a laboratory or outside of a laboratory. And so there is, in God's creation and our Christian mandate to conquer the world for Christ, a place for science. Christian Calvinism promotes true science. But nobody has ever been able to set up inside or outside of a laboratory the so-called data of evolution. And wherein they've tried, they have miserably failed. Therefore, they fall back on speculation, on chance miracle. A chance miracle denying the miracles of the Bible the miracle of creation, but a chance miracle of saying that somehow or another some slime or mud became protoplasm, and protoplasm wiggled its way up through the tadpole and the fish and the reptilian line until it became a monkey and then rubbed its tail off and started teaching in one of our universities." Now, that takes a lot of miracle, a lot of chance miracle. And some of those who teach it, in my estimation, act like red seated baboons. And it's hard sometimes not to believe they might not have by chance evolved from one. But this takes miracle. Creationism is offensive. Because it explains the origins of all things in terms of the acts of God. God said, God did, God willed, God purposed, and this rules out man. And satanic humanism, which is the religion of the world, says we will not have the God of Of the Bible. But now note with me further the evolutionary worldview is not only non theistic, ruling out God, but it is an irrational conception of reality. Irrational. If a scientist should arise on Monday morning, dress himself, drive to his laboratory, or to his university chair, or to his geological research field, or whatever endeavor in the name of science and operate on the principles of his evolutionary presupposition, he would take his clothes off, go back to bed, take an overdosage of sleeping pills, and go to hell. Why? Because with his concept of reality, the world is irrational. It was only by chance, by luck, that sun came up. He goes down to that laboratory, it's only by chance it'll be there. And it's only by chance that the mathematical formula he used to solve a problem yesterday won't work today. And so blow out the window all his research. And so it is that if he is a physician, the prescription he writes today that was usable for a man yesterday with a certain illness will kill him dead because it's an irrational universe. In a universe without God, in a universe without rationality, things will go wild. They'll go in every direction. There are no certainties. There are no absolutes. You say, but, preacher, do you believe in a rational universe? Absolutely. I believe that man operates irrationally, but God, who is the only consistently rational person in existence. The God who is, who created the world, and who operates the world by his own purpose and will and mind makes it a rational universe. I know that unless he intervenes to bring a halt to things, the sun will come up tomorrow. I know that if you jump off the steeple of this church, you're going to splatter the ground out front. I know that there are certain laws that are operative within the universe that a scientist can sit down with and work with and draw conclusions from and say, what is true today will be true tomorrow, because it's a rational universe. God created the universe, and he governs the universe. But you must have the infinite, absolute mind of God. And if not, you only have chance. Or blind, impersonal laws. And if you have blind laws that can't see and impersonal laws that can't think, then they might not know their laws. And so they might not operate. They will not be dependable whatsoever. Therefore, that which is the presupposition not admitted to. Now, like a bunch of cattle rustlers, they steal the Christian's position in order to operate, and evolutionist must operate on the Christian concept that everything is operating according to a purpose. Now, he doesn't like to, but he has to. That's why the cattle rustlers. They steal our principles in the night and operate on them and buy them and come out with their findings and bless God for their findings and then get up and deny these things at a later time. Let me give you the statement of an expert in this field. Martin Gardner. Martin Gardner. In the ambidextrous universe. That's the name of his book. The ambidextrous universe. Now, Martin Gardner says, and he's supposed to be a man of reputation, he says, given a billion years of time... Now, you listen to this. This is an educated man talking. I, 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 I don't want this kind of education. God, deliver me. But this is an educated scientist talking. Listen to what he says. Given a billion years of time, a chemical mixture as large as the earth's seas and atmosphere and various energy sources more intense than today, and who can say that no self-replicating molecules can have formed fortuitously. For all we know, they may have formed by the billions in a few thousand million years. And then he puts in parentheses, all this is sheer guesswork. The primordial soup may have swarmed with these primitive, half-living organisms. The great epic of evolution would then have been underway. Now, my soul, give a man enough time and enough conditions, and as he says, almost anything might happen. But I'd hate to wait around for a chimpanzee sitting on top of the Empire State Building with an unlimited source of uh, alphabetical characters throwing them off the top to see the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica come up by chance, wouldn't you? Well, again, he says in the same book, evolution is simply the process. Oh, they love that word, process, process. We have now processed theology, where God's in the process of becoming and everything's in the process of developing, and one of these days we're going to get there without the grace of Christ. Evolution is simply the process by which chance, the random mutations, isn't that a pretty word for chance, the random mutations, then that sounds scientific, that sounds idiotic. No true, honest, unbiased scientist would use that language. Random mutations. Cooperates with natural law. How do they know natural law is going to cooperate? If it's blind and impersonal. How do they know these random mutations have decided suddenly to cooperate with one another and then go out and start cooperating with natural law? to create living forms better and better adapted to survive. He's simply saying the reason you're here uh, with a nose and two ears so beautifully arranged to hold your glasses on your face, and that you can think, and that you walk upright, and that you can use words and name things an animal can't do that it is because there happened to be some random mutations that randomly got together by chance and randomly started cooperating with natural law that was blind and impersonal that randomly created what you are. But they don't believe in miracle or oh, foolish. It is is really naivete to the nth degree to say, In the beginning God created. And yet in spite of all this guesswork, this author lampoons anybody that holds to the biblical account of creation. After admitting that all of this is guesswork, Here's a statement from another scholar, and this is a true statement. He said, One evolutionist has said that the chances were two billion to one against the original cells. I'm not talking about these cells coming into being, but the original cells, wherever they are and wherever they came from. Two billion to one against the original cells ever-evolving to mankind. But the human race was amazingly lucky, so here we are. Now, that's what a scientist said. That's what a man who poo-poo's the Bible says. That's what a man who laughs at ignorant preachers like me. Chances, two billion to one, you've got to have original cells to begin with, he says. You've got to have the right kind of original cells to begin with. Now, undoubtedly, they must have to be healthy cells, you know, to survive. Every evolving to mankind. Two billion to one. But amazingly lucky, here we are. Isn't that simple? Or let me put it another way, isn't that scientifically profound? It is not profound and it's not scientific. It's foolish. And it shows that man, in spite of his training, that man, in spite of his vocation, is in rebellion against God Almighty until he's regenerated by the Spirit of the Lord and bows his knee to the sovereign lordship of Christ. Yet people will accept it because that was the statement of Dr. So-and-so, you know. Well, furthermore, I want you to note that the evolutionistic worldview is an immoral concept of reality is immoral. Wherever evolution is believed, wherever it is taught, wherever it is advocated, there it breeds—this is, this is not my idea, this is from observation and survey—it breeds chaos, revolution, and immorality. Even our evolutionists are now beginning to see that this thinking always will lead to a revolutionary mind that's immoral. Did you know that without the concept of evolution, there cannot be genuine chaotic revolution? I'm not talking about wars for independence. I'm talking about revolution. I'm talking about anarchy. I'm talking about what happened in, uh, by the Bolsheviks in Russia. I'm talking about what happened in Hungary. I'm talking about what's happening in the United States today. Why? Well, the concept of evolution is what? First, you must have total chaos. And then, out of chaos, there will evolve cosmos, order, out of disorder. Now, when some of the communist leaders saw that this was not happening, that there was not the chaos, but rather the established law and order of a constitutional people, They said, what we've got to do, this is our religious calling, get in there and flame the fires of revolution and create chaos, because if we don't create chaos and tear down all of the institutions that now exist, then the cosmos, or order, of utopia will never come. It's no wonder that the first, Printing of the Origin of Species by Darwin sold out the very day that it was released from the press. And the Communists admitted that their evolution could not have been successful without the findings of Darwin to, to prove in the minds of people certain of the philosophical speculations on evolution from 500 B.C. On. But what they don't tell you is that in his last year before he died, Darwin repented of his evolution. Admitted he had created a monster. That he was only throwing out thoughts that had never been proved. Now, there can only be chaos and immorality and disorder in the context of evolution because where there is evolution and not creation, no laws of God can exist outside of a system to be imposed upon that system as a standard by which that system is measured. Therefore, we may conclude that the only basis of morality is a belief in God and His laws. Did you know that Adolf Hitler was an evolutionist? And being an evolutionist, he conceived of man as being nothing more than a machine, that if it did not function superiorly, that could be put in the scrap heap. The Communists must be evolutionary in their philosophy, and man to them must be an animal. And I want you to hold on to your seat. If evolution had not taken over through many years of college teaching that has now filtered down to the first grade up, in our lower schools, you would not be having any debate today over euthanasia and abortion. Every Christian knows that abortion is wrong, that it's murder, and that euthanasia or mercy killing is murder. Who am I to say that the old people can't live, and who are the medical elite that make up such a group to say that we can set ourselves up as a board to determine who can be born and who can't be born and who may live into old life and who must be put out of the way? I'll tell you, if a man is dying from the most horrendous pain, of cancerous cells imaginable, he'll die in God's time, not in yours. You know how many abortions are performed, and go on record, I'm not talking about the illegal abortions, by these midwives and quacks, but you know how many abortions are being performed in the United States of America? And, by the way, did you know that we are having a the very reverse of a population explosion? That we are having a population problem because of abortion? There's no population explosion. That's the biggest satanic myth and liberal lie out of the world controllers that you ever heard. They're not going to let themselves be put to death. But there's one abortion performed every minute, around the clock, 24 hours a day in the United States of America. 1.6 million murders per year. Per year. You know what one doctor said? I just read his statement. He said, I had to give up my practice at a certain hospital because I could no longer take little babies calling up my arm while I was wrapping them that they might strangle in their own juices. Nurses that are under psychiatric treatment right now, I won't help them because the psychiatrists are abortionists, too, working in evolution. But this is what we're faced with. I've got pictures that make you sick, how to kill them with salt, little red, burned-up infants. And when they kill them by the method of DNC, chop them apart, and then I've got pictures where the nurses have to put them back together, little shoulders on, little heads back on. How has this developed in a nation under God that was founded on Christian principle? I'll tell you how. It has developed through evolution. If man's an animal, then what matters if he doesn't survive? Take him to the humane society. If man is a machine and he breaks down, jump him! So you have euthanasia and abortion. Of course, it's all based on the survival of the fittest and that sin is not a criminal act, let the fittest survive and the weak perish. Oh, there's so much to be said, but let me give you this statement by Dr. Johannes Voss. He said, Here in America our public educational system, from kindergarten to university, is deliberately being made more and more rigidly secular. At the same time, our sages and experts stand aghast at the boldness and increase of evil. These men pontifically tell us that mankind's moral or ethical sense has not kept pace in development with its technological achievements. Of course, they never suggest a return to the God of the Bible and the moral absolutes of the Decalogue. Rather, the new religion of scientific research is supposed by emphasis on the need for ethical development to come up with the answers. Alas, it is a vain hope and doomed to disillusionment and failure. When men have cut themselves off from the source of all righteousness, they are certain to live in violence, selfishness, and hatred. Just because evolutionism is more than a biological theory. Just because it is a comprehensive worldview, its general uncritical acceptance by the public and the utter pervasiveness of its penetration through our educational system from the university level down to the elementary grades is bound to bring an increasing harvest of crime, lawlessness, and moral evil of all kinds. There is nothing in this worldview which can provide a corrective Our public educational system is in an intolerable predicament, supposed to turn out a product which will be honest, law-abiding, mutually helpful citizens, The educational system is on the one hand rigidly prevented from inculcating the biblical worldview, which is the only real ground for morality, and on the other hand, it is given over almost universally to the anti-theistic, idolatrous, man-centered, false worldview of evolution. Public and private morality will never thrive again until the biblical worldview once again becomes dominant. And the evolutionary worldview is rejected for what it really is, a mere hypothesis, resting on unproved assumptions, while all too effectively removes God from a relevant place in people's thinking about the world and human society. The evolutionary worldview is no mere harmless technicality of academic biological theory it is a comprehensive philosophy of life which is at the crucial point antithetic to the biblical and christian world view my dear friends enough has been said to show that it is our responsibility as Christians in the church, in the home, in the school, in the scientific lab, in our business, in our profession, to bear witness against this hellish doctrine and once again affirm and reaffirm our faith in the God of creation and of providence and of regeneration, and of re-creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Oh, let me warn you, my beloved Believers in Christ, do not compromise our Christian position. There are some who have attempted to do this, and one much to my shame and regret was the great theological scholar and philosopher and the great Baptist leader, Augustus H. Strong, who attempted to teach theistic evolution. Hardly any scientist will accept that view, and I respect them for that, for they see it for what it is, a compromise view, in which a man says that my faith in what the Bible says is not strong enough for me to retain my faith that in the beginning God created. But I must make a compromise with evolution. There is where the real intellectual is to be found. That though God stands behind creation, the method he used was evolution. How foolish. For any fourth grade child could take a geological timetable and lay it down beside Genesis chapter 1 and see at a glance that the geological timetable does not in any way Parallel the creative days of Genesis chapter 1. Not in any way. It is an either-or, not a both-and. We cannot hold to God and to His Word and to His creation power. And at the same time, that we live in an irrational world of chance, brought together in an irrationality, and we luckily are here. Oh, no. No random molecules, no chance genetics, no happenstance environment. But God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And God says, I will form the genetical makeup of every single individual through his birth line, that I will control and endow him as I see fit and place him in the time of history, and in the environment I would have pressed upon him to fashion and form him into the being that I want him in my divine providence, that all of the power and the honor and the glory and the majesty and the dominion might be unto our God now. And forever. Let us stand for prayer. O my God, forgive us of our silence on such vital issues, and help us by thy grace
1: to reassert
0: ourselves dogmatically of our faith in thee. Take this message as feebly presented as it was, and rescue the minds of multitudes that are caught up in this quagmire of darkness and deliver them for their sakes and for the glory of Christ. And, oh, may Christ... Be seen in His redemptive work, for if we are created of Thee and we have sinned against Thee, we need a creation, we need a Redeemer. But if we are here by chance, how foolish to talk about Christ the Savior and sin and hell and heaven. Where is there any sin to be punished? But O Lord, we know that we are sinners. And because of this, Christ is necessary. Thou didst send him into the world to redeem us. Bring honor to him. Bring sinners to bow their knees. For we pray in his name. Amen.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats.